what we do here is go back, 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 back. Episode 94 of Two and a Half Marks Podcast. My name is David Staff. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa. As we rewatch, we live and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, Angelo, we're going back to... This is the second time we've done this, actually. Jolly Old England. We're going back to Jolly Old England, a special little treat. A, a very specific late 90s WWF thing. Remember, I guess they did it in the early 2000s as well, now that I think about it. But... Uh, the UK exclusive pay-per-view. Always a little bit of a different feel. Always a very hot crowd in the UK. And that's what we have tonight. We actually have the first ever WWF UK exclusive pay-per-view. The only time, or the first time they ever did it. WWF one night only from 1997 from Birmingham, England. A match that is loaded up with two like pretty good-looking matchups at the end. Honestly, not a bad show. Minimal, really dumb bullshit. Which, when you're talking about Attitude Era WWF, I mean, this is really a time where it's very positively remembered. People remember it as, like, the hottest WWF has ever been. And, you know, it kind of was. But when you actually watch the uh, the Attitude Era, there's a lot of really dumb shit in it. This is kind of minimal, right? And And we get some interesting... You know, in the main event especially, we get some some seeds planted for some of the most memorable angles in the Attitude Era. Very, some actually genuinely fun stuff on here. And a very, very hot crowd in the UK. Um, I, I had an overall good time watching this show. Really look forward to talk about it. What's uh, going on in yeah, this was this was like a well built show. They had a solid opener that wasn't flashy, but like they had guys that people knew and cared about. Then they kind of go into the experimental stuff, uh, which you know mileage may vary. But then they kind of bring you back in at the end with like four pretty like interesting matches. At least they have guys that you really care about in those matches, and they feel pretty important. Uh, but I do need to discuss this off the point. How dumb of a business decision is it to make something that's exclusive only to one country? Like, what business decision is that? Imagine if they had done the Saudi shows now, and they're like, nope, only the Sa- uh, only Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates, only those countries are allowed to buy this pay-per-view. What business sense does that even freaking make? Come on, I man. don't know. I don't know why WWF decided to do this. Maybe they had some kind of special deal with Sky Box Office or whatever the fuck. Uh, but, so yeah, I, I don't really understand the, the point of doing it, I I thought the the kayfabe rationale for it. Oh, was, it's this is great because this is the only time they actually like uh, had a kayfabe reason for why they were doing a pay per view you could only buy in the UK and Canada, which is I found out recently still technically part of the Commonwealth. Like officially, Queen huh. Elizabeth is the head of state of Canada, um, which I didn't actually know until recently. I just assumed it like was completely disassociated from the UK. I just learned it right now. Yeah, well, you're welcome. But they, Bret Hart was doing the the uh, like babyface in Canada, heel in America gimmick, and he in in kayfabe blocked the pay per view from being viewed in the U.S. Like he said, the 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 pigs in America cannot watch this pay-per-view they cannot watch me only if you're in the uk or canada you're allowed to watch this pay-per-view which is actually a sick way to 
like genius, honestly genius. This away, but yeah, I, I don't understand the business because it's like you know, yes, they're getting a billion dollars, but like if I want to watch WWE Super Showdown, if I want to watch, you know, uh, like Crown Goldberg Jewel die. Uh, in the ring in in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, I can here in my on my couch in Delaware. I can do that. You know, you're not like blocking off your whole, you know, audience from seeing it. Uh, I, I I don't understand the like business rationale for that, but maybe it must have been they just had a huge deal from Skybox Office or something. I have no idea. Must have. I do love the fact like they paint the show. This is something like the Attitude Era did was, like, they had shows themed around one superstar. And, like, you could tell right off the bat that this was all about the British Bulldog. And I think that's, like, it's really cool. It helps make the guy feel so much more important, too. Because, like, even when we had Rock Bottom, it's, like, it's all about the Rock. This guy's a superstar. It's, like, wow, this guy is so important. They're building a whole show around him just because he exists. It's it's a real interesting thing. I'm not opposed to if WWE wants to get rid of some of their more forgettable pay-per-views that they typically run. Just doing a show around a guy. Like, imagine just the freaking super show with Seth Rollins. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, it is very much, I mean, you really do get the feeling all the way through that this, this uh, show is about, I mean, really the hearts in general, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a... a, a well, the last three matches. Of, you know, like, really, I mean, all the, the biggest matches on the show involve members of the, the heart you know, the, the, the heart fucking, uh, foundation, right? I mean, we have a big Owen match. We had where, where Owen was, you know, working babyface, even though he was a heel for a lot of his, his time. Um, we have a big, uh, Brett match and we have in the main event, British Bulldog. I I've looked it up. The only time in history that the European title main evented over the WWF championship, they main evented British Bulldog in the w- in the European title over the WWF title. I mean, it's it's not you know even you know that they they bring up multiple times during the course of this broadcast SummerSlam '92, where Bulldog beat Brett at Wembley Stadium for the Intercontinental title. That was a time where the IC title main evented over the WWF title. But the European title is like a step down. Jeremy <laughs> Bell. Like that's like the NXT North American title. It's, a, it's it's like a tier above the cruiserweight title. Yeah, it really is. It's like the European title never mattered at any point in its history, <laughs> but it's British Bulldog in England. The crowd's going crazy for him. It feels like he has to main event, and against Sean, who was basically the top guy outside of Red in the in the company, this is the big match. It's cool. It's 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 a neat. Like it it feels like. When you watch that match, like, yes, it's for a tertiary belt that no one really cares about, but it feels like there's no way anything could have gone on after it. Oh, yeah. None. And, and like, they made it feel super important. Like, again, it's a third-tier belt, but, like, that match itself, like, how Bulldog and Michaels play it off, like, it's kind of like the exact opposite of what Naito did with the, uh, what belt was it? Was it Intercontinental title with the New Japan? What was the... Secondary title he had when he uh, was, yeah. Yeah, the IC title. That, he did main event Wrestle Kingdom with with the IC championship over the IWGP championship one time. Yeah. 
And it was the, I believe, the bland babyface Naito challenge for the IWGP. Before people, re- like, before Naito became cool, <laughs> he won the G1. If I remember correctly, he won the G1, was going to challenge Okada for the IWGP title at Wrestle Kingdom. But nobody cared about Naito at that point. So they actually did a fan vote. Like, what should actually main event? Naito <laughs> and Okada for the IWGP title or Shinsuke and Tanahashi for the Intercontinental title? And Shinsuke uh, Tanahashi won by like a million percent. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. That, that explains a lot of when, when Naito was like, had won the IC title and just didn't carry it properly. Like, he kind of like treated it like a yes. curse. That, that was just some great yeah. shit. Naito is just like throwing the belt, like like helicoptering the belt everywhere, like just like like pissing on it in front of everybody. Yeah, very very important piece of the backstory of the development of cool Naito. But yeah, it is always a very like jarring thing to see, like yeah, secondary belt or something as like low as the European title main event over the world title. But this is one of those occasions, and it's a very rare occasion. I am on the record as being someone that says like your main title should always be. Unless there are certain circumstances that are extraordinary, right? Like, for instance, the last ROH show, FTR Briscoes 2. Oh, my God. Inventing over the ROH title felt like it made sense because it felt like the biggest match on the show. It was so good, too. Like, it, like no offense to uh, Gresham or Claudio, but, man, like, th- it wouldn't have hit the same. It just wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't have hit that. I, like it's one of those deals where you know that somebody is that over, and the crowd is going to be so invested in this specific match that you kind of can't put anything on after it, right? No. You kind of can't. So you know, it's it is what it is, right? Like again, as somebody that is a generally a world title has to main event you have to like this one makes sense well it's the same it's kind of like the same issue too like in the mid 2000s when it was like the brock lesnar part-time show and no one cared about brock anymore that much and they're yeah. like why does well, like oh good we're at the main event it's brock versus someone he's gonna squash why should i bother watching this it's just exactly. you you suck all the air out of the building if you don't place that right yeah exactly a car like Card placement is important, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let anybody tell you different. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. But yeah, this overall was a fun show. And uh, uh, some very good matches on it that had some funky finishes. Um, and an ending that had the crowd basically rioting. <laughs> good thing or a bad thing, depending on your uh, point of view. But, you know, it's the UK. And if there's any one thing that you can count on, it is when WWE, WWF goes to the UK because they are the you know the only real big promotion that goes there. AEW has never gone there yet. AEW is only just now going to Canada for the first time in the next you know few months. You can always count on the UK crowd being wild. I even am- even when WWE sucks dick, <laughs> you know, like, even when they're in a position where it's like. Back in the States, the crowds do not care. You can still always count on the UK crowd. I am so excited for Clash at the Castle. I am, it's like, it's going to be so good. 
it's going to be good. I mean, now I'm actually, since Vince, you know, got pushed out and thrown in, thrown into the trash heap, I've, I've actually started to become invested in WWE programming for the first time in, like, at least five years. It's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm enjoying the ride right now. They, they, it's amazing how Raw has become a show that we would sit through and slog through and, like, wonder why we sat there and watched it for three hours to a show that actually moves. Like, it's it, it's yeah. utterly insane, the breath of fresh air that they have right now. Yeah, all you need to do, like, booking a good wrestling show is obviously difficult, right? You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that it's not, but... It's also not as hard as people make it out to be. All you need to do is not be an insane 80-year-old man, and you could probably do it, right? An, an insane 80-year-old man with trust issues and control like issues. Something that's watchable, yeah. right? You know, like at the very minimum. And right? the camera cuts are down. I swear to God, the camera really, cuts are I down. I haven't noticed that, actually. I, I've heard people saying that, but I'm not quite so sure. I need to do an analysis on that, or someone needs to do an analysis. I haven't really noticed that particularly but who knows hopefully but yeah i mean it's it's it is it is you know it you know kind of uh appropriate that we have a uk pay-per-view because there's been a lot of stuff going on recently with wwe in the uk obviously they're building up for a clash castle in cardiff wales which is their first pay-per-view in the uk in a long time very very long time and the cards stay shaping up to be pretty fucking decent and we have you know, it's coming right after you know, the demise of NXT UK, RIP in peace to NXT UK. I, as one of the five people who watched that, I always <laughs> actually liked it because the wrestling was good and I like watching the wrestling. Their takeovers were incredible. The two takeovers that they have, I think they actually they have thir- they have a third one. I don't, remember. Uh, I don't think so. But they, uh, the, the, it was uh, Cardiff and Wales, Blackpool right? Cardiff. Blackpool and Cardiff. Another one. They uh, were incredible matches and the main event for the UK title was always great. Yes, um, and matches on that. They're doing Worlds Collide again, too. Yeah, I think at Worlds Collide after that, it's like basically donezo. NXT but, Europe, yeah. baby. We did do NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff on the show, and the Walter-Tyler Bate match is one of the most magical wrestling matches I've ever seen. It is just perfect all the way through. It is amazing, amazing professional wrestling, start to finish. So, yeah, uh, but... A lot of stuff going on just this week in particular with uh, WWE in the UK. So we got a WWE UK pay-per-view, and it's actually not that bad. So sounds like we're ready to remember some guys, and Let's remember the guys, Dave. Yes. So it is September 20th, 1997. We are at the NEC Arena in Birmingham, England. At 11,000 people in the crowd, and those 11,000 are making themselves heard all the way through. For the first ever UK exclusive pay-per-view, which, again, they would do every now and then for about four or five years at WWF. Uh, On the call, call, we have Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Waller. And as we mentioned in storyline, Bret Hart, who was doing the classic heel in America, babyface in Canada and everywhere else gimmick, um, had blocked it from being viewed in the US. And... As you mentioned, Angelo, this whole card is built around the hometown hero, babyface, the British bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, who is defending his European title. He's the inaugural European champion. In the main event, he is defending it against the just American dickhead, Shawn Michaels. Incredible uh, work rate for Michaels, though, as a heel. Oh, my God. Yes. He was great. Uh, he was uh, just 
one of the slimiest pieces of shit in the world because he kind of was a slimy piece of shit at this time. When you read about what Sean was really up to around this time, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a fucking stretch. Um, but always a very hot crowd in the UK. And we start out one on one action. Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, was very much towards the end of his time doing the Fancy Lad Greenwich, Connecticut gimmick. Uh, we are like weeks away from the actual formation of Degeneration X, and the seeds are being planted here. Uh, he is accompanied by the ninth wonder of the world, the most jacked woman on earth, China. He is going to be taking on the third. Th- I believe we've had we've had mankind, we've had Cactus Jack. I think this is our first dude love appearance. Yeah, we, 100% first dude love. We've, this is the last face of Foley we've had. We have now had all three faces of Foley on well, four. Because you, you got Mick as well. Can't forget Mick. We've, of course, we've had regular Mick Foley more times than we can fucking count. But that's, <laughs> you know, we've had all three faces of Foley. I really want to get the Royal Rumble where he came out as all three faces. <laughs> match. Um he cuts this promo where he's doing like a weird I, – I think he was doing and trying to do an Austin Powers impression and it's just like really bad. <laughs> and I feel like if I was a British fan in the audience, I would be offended at what Mick was doing. But this is a pretty straightforward one-on-one match. Dude Love gets a, a pretty long shine. Does the Charleston on him a couple times. He's fucking dancing. Um, works him over for a while. It goes for the uh, uh, shin kick. But Triple H slides out. Dude Love chases him around the floor, and then China wastes him with a clothesline on the floor. Appeared to be right in front of the referee. Yeah. Uh, no ball. Uh, no DQ. Um, Triple H gets some heat on it for a while. China continues to, you know, go after Dude Love and take some shots at him behind the referee's back. You know, a lot of very, you know, classic cheap uh, heat stuff. You know, he does the ab stretch where he's grabbing the rope behind the ref's back and all that stuff. The referee, Mike Kyoto, breaks up. One of my favorite little uh, Triple H things is, like, when he would push the ref and then the ref would fire back on him. And he you stole my note. There's, there's some great clips of him doing that with Earl Hebner. Um, but he, like, Triple H pushes Mike Kyoto and then Mike Kyoto pushes him back into the corner and, like, fires up on him. And, like, Triple H is like, oh, shit, this ref's <laughs> And he cowers away from Mike Kyoto. I love, I love that spot. Um... And then Dude Love gets his comeback, like, off of that. Uh, hits a running bulldog for a near fall. Triple H comes back with a swinging neckbreaker. He sets up for the pedigree, but then Dude Love reverses it into a slingshot into the corner, slams his head into the buckle a bunch of times, dances the Charleston on him again, which is the least, like, the lowest power level dance move in the world. Um, hits a nice arm drag off the top rope. Hits the, the, the shin kick, the sweet shin music, which is a great great name um hits a double arm ddt looks like he's about to get the win but china gets uh triple h's foot on the rope and then dude love gets up and turns around right into the pedigree and triple h wins the match fair uh in in 12 minutes and 51 seconds on some unfair cheap shit yeah i mean this was again i think solid opener because like Triple H and Dude Love, McFoley, like they're names that everyone knows. And I'm not sure, like, obviously we know Triple H now, but like he was a guy you could tell it. WWE liked him. WWF liked him. Uh, but also, like, he just, again, we have talked a lot about Triple H. I have come so far around on Triple H because there's a lot of matches he has that can kind of 
feel boring and bland. He's kind of got some of that Randy in him. But then there's a lot of times where we're just like, damn, he really just maxed the hell out of whatever he he was given. Um, like he's got to do for WWE. He's done for like three weeks now. Hopefully he continues. Uh, but thank God we had JR on commentary because he made it bearable. Vince and King combined. Yes. Oh, my God. Vince and King combined on the call. Awful. A very, very dark. Very, very dark. <laughs> it's so bad. Because you have Vince squealing at the top of his lungs and everything. I, I, you know, I will say this. Vince, as an announcer, was very good at, in, like, big moments, matching that energy. But as a play-by-play commentator, generally suck dog shit. Well, and he, then you have King just saying racist shit. <laughs> well, Vince would just be at that level the entire time. So, of course, whenever there's a big moment, he's going to be at that level. Uh, yeah. it, it was so bad. The man is always squealing, you know. Uh, so what are the Foley power levels? It, it's man, So top, it's Mankind, then Jack, Mick, and then Dude, right? Um, see, that's tough because, yes... I'm debating whether you should switch Cactus Jack and Mankind. This, I mean, yes, Mankind did was the one who did win the WWF title. He was part of the Rock and Sock connection, which is the most blessed tag team of all time. Like, just blessed by the gods. But I feel like Cactus Jack was always, like, the most feared badass of the group. Yeah. He was the one that was going to war with fucking Vader and getting his ears ripped off fucking barbed wire and doing all this mad shit you know like i don't know like i I, i'm debating that i'm debating whether or not cactus jack is actually the highest power i I think you make a very compelling argument i kind of went around with like well let me think of like in terms of title success and that's kind of and that's a very limited scope i think I, i think you're right though i think jack generally like if you were in a match with cactus jack versus a match with mankind because mankind kind of got treated as a joke at times. Like, there was times where he's a very much a joke character. But Cactus... Like, for instance, Mankind, when he won the title, he won the title because Stone Cold showed up, big beat everyone's ass, and then put his lifeless body on top of the rock for the three count. You know what I mean? That's true. Maybe you're right. I I don't know. Like... It's tough. Like, yes, in terms of title success, absolutely it's Mankind. But in terms of... Who would you not want to fight? I think it's Cactus Jack. I agree. I think that's right. Yeah. Meg, so it's it's a one A, one B kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think I think the arguments exist for both. I think arguments exist for both, for sure. Uh, uh but the, like when I think about that, I always think of the return like when, when Mick Foley brought back Cactus Jack to fight uh Triple H in like two thousand. When he cuts the promo and he's like, I'm bringing back Cactus Jack. <laughs> and his name is Cactus Jack promo. Like, the the fear that Triple H shows on his face at the return of Cactus Jack. It, makes, it feels like in kayfabe, Cactus Jack is the motherfucker that you don't want to tangle with. He's so good, he doesn't need a belt. Yes. Uh, just, you know, he's there, to, he's there to fucking bleed on you. <laughs> Sounds like John Moxley. Uh... But yeah, this was a very interesting match. Like, because it felt like it was like a heel in peril match. Because Dude Love really does control a lot of this match. Even the moments where like China gets involved, Dude Love usually kind of takes control a little bit right after. Sweet shit music though is hysterical. That shit is funny. Every time I will laugh my. It's it's very Orange Cassidy uh, related adjacent. But 
it was weird that just one pedigree ended this match because it really didn't feel like Dude Love dominated uh, Triple H. And then Triple H hits one pedigree, and that's kind of it. But that's how these matches get structured. So, overall, fun time, good opener. You have two guys who, you know, the crowd's going to really react to. And then you have China, who's just an absolute beast. Uh, Fun time. Yeah, kind of your classic, like, you know, babyface versus, like, cheating heel dynamic. Where the cheating heel does a lot of, like, classic cheating heel spots. But, well executed. Crowd likes dude love. Um... You know, Triple H gets heat and then he wins, you know, by cheating. You know, it's it's executed, you know. Basic what? pro wrestling at its yeah, finest. It's wrestling, you know, it's, this is a wrestling match. It's fine. Uh, next match, we have a guest ring announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sonny, currently uh, in prison, I believe, for killing someone. Um, yeah. I thought the name was familiar. Yeah, no, she like drove drunk killed somebody like a few months ago i don't think she's been like officially convicted but i think she like was denied bail this this woman is like straight up fucking evil like real <laughs> real shit i, I saw she had some insane comments she was hot in 1997 so that's enough for the crowd to go crazy for her. um and we have this very kind of throwaway match between two like low card guys it's very much just like hey this is a house show match it is leaf cassidy uh who has not gone back to just being al snow yet he's not done the head gimmick and gotten over he would do that i think like over the next the course of the next year or so when he went back to ecw um he's no longer part of the new rockers either he's literally just some guy in a singlet uh and he's facing uh, making his two and a half marks debut uh tiger ali singh who is again just some fucking guy um who is accompanied by his dad tiger jeet singh who wrestled for the wwf like the 70s um tiger ali singh is just some guy you know it's he's a definition of some guy yeah he's literally some guy right um uh of indian descent he is from canada and he cut he does cut this insane promo (laughs) that like really takes some twists and turns he says uh i'm a true and proud asian canadian and I want all of our children to, like me, stay drug-free. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? And then he says, because I, <laughs> he says, because I am the true Messiah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that what shit. What is this about being the true Messiah? <laughs> and then he says, like, for all my Canadian fans, to all my Canadian fans, again, we're not in Canada, we are in the UK. Uh, we're going to set the wrestling world on fire. But, like, the the juxtaposition of, like, you know, I think that kid should stay drug-free because I am the Messiah. <laughs> Yo, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. Um, and then we have this, you know, short match um, where uh, on commentary, Jerry the King Lawler says a lot of very racist shit about Tiger <laughs> Ali Singh. I do not recommend it. I do not recommend this match. Not because it's mediocre, which, like, it's... Not it's not good. It's not like a piece of shit, but it's not like really that good or anything. But like just for all the <laughs> racist shit that Jerry the King Lawler is saying on commentary. Here's a highlight. King saying that Singh's dad looks like a New York City cab driver. Yeah, that's that that old fucking chestnut. That's great. Um, the other the other uh, like notable commentary gimmick is uh, 
them giving King shit about Brian Christopher and him denying that Brian Christopher is his son, which he was <laughs> in, in real life. Brian Christopher, of course, uh, later known as Grandmaster Sexy from uh, Too Cool. R.I.P. Had started wrestling in WWF in 97. Uh, in the finish, uh, Tiger Ali Singh knocks him off the turnbuckles and hits the Tiger Bomb, which is a diving bulldog off the uh, middle rope. And he gets the pin, wins a short match, four minutes and six seconds. Honestly, kind of sloppy. Like, this is not Al Snow's best match. Like, he has a kick in here that looks really bad. Um, and, like, the moment Tiger Ali Singh comes out, you know that just this guy does not have it. The entrance does not make him feel important. The promo did not feel important and just felt like a jabroni. And it's really kind of clear, and this might be me typecasting, but, like, Vince really just did this once. It failed. And then Ginger Mahal fell into his lap and got super jacked. Like, I'm going to run it back the same exact way. Yeah, this is far from the last guy that Vince would, you know, a, 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 a man of Indian descent, of moderate talent, that Vince would look at and say, hey, you know, I really want to have an Indian star. Let's, you know, put him on the card. But he never really got that much of a push. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Ginger was really like, you know, I said straight up, like, fuck, you know. I mean, Jinder couldn't work, but, like, he could talk and he looked like money. Yeah, so that is always the thing you say about Jinder is that he looked like money when he was the champ. Like, he did carry himself as a champ. He just was bad uh, in every way, except for the look, which, hey, having the look is great, but you got to do other stuff. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, Tiger Ali Singh, just a guy who is, you know, kind of moderate talent and was just some guy and this match is mediocre and you know you know al snow is a guy who was a good worker you know that is one thing you can always say about al snow the guy was like a 15 year vet by this point and could work and could not get a good match out of tiger ali singh here so, nope yeah this is the yeah, skip this one um next up we have our first title match right WWF tag titles on the line. The Headbangers have just recently won the championship. Mosh and Thrasher, they are defending the title against Los Periquas, the uh, Puerto Rican tag team. Sabio Vega and Miguel Perez Jr. Miguel Perez Jr. is a guy that I have to say had not was, was, was aware of, hadn't seen a ton of. Uh, impressed me a lot in this match. Yeah. Good athlete for a guy who was as big as he was. Did some cool stuff. Good look. Harry has <laughs> some George the Animal Steel type fucking back hair going on. I mean, holy shit, this guy. They could they could have run him with that gimmick of him being his son. I mean, well, yeah, he's, he, he, you know, had a had a kid with like a Puerto Rican woman or something, and that's Miguel Perez Jr. But Miguel Perez, actually the son of a... They couldn't pull that off because... As they mentioned several times, his father, Miguel Perez Sr., actually wrestled for WWF in the 60s, which they do mention uh, a few times during this match. But this is actually a, a pretty solid little tag match that I, I enjoyed watching. Um, headbangers do some nice double-team stuff early on, but then they end up, uh, Los Bariquas get a pretty long heat on Thrasher. Savio Vega does this really cool thing that I thought was really sick that I could I could never fucking pull off, but I thought it was sweet, where he did the spinning heel kick in the corner and then flew over the Oh yeah. feet on the floor. I was like, fuck, that was sweet as hell. Remarkably smooth. Yeah, so fucking smooth. Um, 
Savio hits him with a, another cool couple of kicks. Uh, Miguel does this cool combo where he body slams him, does like this corkscrew senton off the top rope, and then immediately gets up and flows right into a standing moonsault. Um, and, you know, Los Periquas, again, they do a long heat on Thrasher, where, like, they do all the little, all the spots where Thrasher's almost there to get the tag, and he can't quite do it. You know, they do the spot where, you know, he gets the tag to Mosh, but the ref is distracted, so it doesn't count. Um, they keep cutting him off from the tag over and over again. Um, finally, Thrasher is able to hit a big back suplex on Savio Vega. He gets the tag to Mosh. Mosh kicks everyone's ass. Uh, hits a top rope Frankensteiner on Miguel, but Savio breaks up the pin. Hits a power slam, goes for the pin again, but Savio breaks up again. Uh, Miguel hits a power bomb on Thrasher, where he like almost loses him and like drops him on his head, but is like just barely able to muscle up and execute the move. But then he stands up, turns around right into a top rope seated senton into the pin from Mosh, who gets the three count. And the, the Headbangers retain the title, 13 minutes and 37 seconds. The Headbangers, who were always a little bit more over than you remember, uh, celebrate with uh, the happy crowd, and they retain the titles. I thought, overall, a pretty fun match. Yeah, I mean, it was very well structured. There wasn't a lot of, like, huge spots. But, like, they, the match you could see had the very, you know, good structure to it. Um, really made both teams look good, for the most part. I was very surprised at how over the headbangers were because, like, yes. th- they don't really have a great look, in my opinion. Like, they're just kind of, you know, they look like 90s grunge personified. And that's kind of yeah, the whole, that, that was that's, our gimmick. That's what they were. That was their whole gimmick is like, hey, like, they're guys that like Marilyn Manson because it's 1997. Like, they were trying to, <laughs> trying to keep their finger on the pulse. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, I, it, it, you know. That's good. You're getting the crowd involved. That's all you can really ask for. I thought Perez and Vega had both had just incredible looks. Like their gear was great. The way they worked was right. Like everything about them was perfect. I'm surprised that I didn't hear about Los. I'm gonna butcher this. Los Periquas. Los Periquas. Uh, uh Before this, I actually saw a sign on Raw that mentioned Los Periquas. Uh, and I was like, I would not have gotten that before watching this. Uh. So that was kind of cool for me, at least. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of like an abrupt ending, though. It made sense. I didn't that- think so. I-, I thought that it built up well. And then, it did. You know, have, the power you know, bomb Mosh felt weird, of, though. Mosh kind of reverse a move into his, like, you know, like, Miguel hits a move, and then, oh, here comes Mosh. I actually thought it was built up pretty well. It looked like the power bomb could have been a botch spot. And they well, just yeah, kind of played I mean, it I off. Think, I think it very nearly was. I mean, I think that, like, you know, Miguel got him up for the power bomb and was like, oh shit, I don't really have him. And he had to like, they were able to get there, but like, they almost didn't get there. Like that could have been a uh, uh, messed up. Like it wasn't yeah. smoothly executed. Right. But Correct. they did. I feel like they probably got to where they needed to be. And they but just it, ran like, with it. was sloppy getting there. But that also happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the only, and that's the only really red flag against this match. I thought this again, very well worked, very well organized. I, uh, there were a lot of like two the two on one distraction spots. It got to the point where I'm like, ah, how many times am I gonna keep doing this? Because it, it felt like they went to the well like maybe one or two too many times. But that's what heel attack teams always do. And you know, both these, yeah. both these both these teams have personality, and the match was fine. And I think this was like you know a very solid match. Yeah, I think it's absolutely very solid. I mean, um, Sabio had a very nice run in like the mid late nineties. Um, 
always always solid. Miguel, I thought, was very impressive. For a guy that I hadn't seen a whole lot of, I thought he overall looked very good. Um, Headbangers were a good tag team. I mean, I think they're underrated as a tag team. I think, again, like I said, when you go back and watch their, like, peak era in WWF, which is, you know, 97, 98, whatever, they were always a little more over than you remember them being. And just a, a solid tag team that knew what they were doing. And I have to also say, uh, when they had a very, um, like, random comeback in 2016 on SmackDown, t- still didn't completely suck. Like, people forget that that happened. Like, they randomly brought the headbangers back on SmackDown in 2016 for, like, a couple matches. And, like, you know, it was, like, A, okay, and B, like, you know, people had a good time. So, very fun. Um, so, next up, we have... Dub music. We have this long Davy Boy interview. And so, Davy Boy had been a member of the Hart Foundation. And, and as such, he is a heel in the United States. Because, again, they were doing this, this gimmick where they are heels in the United States. Baby faces in Canada. Baby faces in UK, I suppose, as well, right? And obviously, Davy Boy is not going to be a heel in England. There's no fucking chance. So this is a very babyface promo from Davy Boy. Um, an interview. It's not as much as a promo as it's like a backstage interview where he's talking about his like mentality and lead up to the match. He's dedicating his uh, the match to his sister Tracy, I believe her name was, who was battling cancer. Which, of course, super babyface thing to do is to dedicate a match to a, uh, a family member with cancer says that his whole family's going to be there at ringside. And hence, you know, I thought he looked noticeably leaner in this interview. And he says that he has dropped 28 pounds to try and contend with Shawn Michaels' speed advantage in this match. So we're going to see how that plays out. Next up, another kind of very random house showy type match. It is Flash Funk. Too cold. Of course, Two and a Half Marks podcast favorite. Too cold motherfucking Scorpio funking his way down to the ring next. And then, you know, he enters the ring and they play who? Kurt Angle. It's Kurt Angle's music. No, it's not Kurt Angle. It's the Patriots. Because, as it turns out, they use. Kurt Angle was not the first guy to get the Kurt Angle music. Wait, it wasn't dubbed? For the Patriot, Del Wilkes. Just a very straightforward, you know, American guy in a mask waving an American flag. Given. Holy shit. I could, yeah. I would have bet money it was dubbed over. Nope. they It was not dubbed over. They originally used that music for Del Wilkes, and the, the Patriot, who was a, a all-American football player who ended up having a, a pretty long career in pro wrestling, um, was a pretty relatively, you know, highly pushed guy in all Japan pro wrestling during the 90s. He's one of their top foreigners. Probably what he's best known for in pro wrestling. Uh, and then had a little run in WWF 97 and 98. Uh, they brought him in. Um, big Jack guy. Again, he was an All-American football player at uh, uh, South Carolina as, a, as an offensive lineman. And... Very, very well-built, strong guy. But he's doing the All-American gimmick in the UK 
which makes him one of the biggest uh, heels on the show. <laughs> and he is getting getting some booze from the crowd. Um, not really healing it up too much. You know, he's not really playing into it very much, but he is absolutely, because of the all-American gimmick, doing that in the UK, he is getting some booze. Um, and this is a match that, you know, the Patriot is wearing uh, Scorpio down, much bigger and stronger. A lot of rest holds in this match. We get some some neat flash funk spots um, where there's one that I, I like where uh, Patriot tries to do like the avalanche into the corner. Uh, pay, uh, uh, Scorpio ducks out of the way and he skins the cat up to the top rope, just something that I physically cannot fucking do. So that's I always respect people to do that. And then hits a crossbody. Um, some little miscommunications in this match. This doesn't really pop that much. Um, Patriot uh, hits a power slam. Flash Funk comes back with a Cazadora into a victory roll for a close near fall. Um, Patriot hits a top rope shoulder block for a two count. Um, finish of the match comes. Uh, Flash hits a body slam on on Patriot, who's a very big guy. Um, as you can imagine, again, as, as a guy who's all-American offensive lineman, who's a big guy. Uh, hits a big twisting splash for near fall, then goes for a moonsault, but Patriot gets the knees up. And then the Patriot hits him with the full Nelson slam, which was his finishing move, which he called the Uncle Slam, which is a sick finisher name. <laughs> for a guy that's your that you're an all-American gimmick and your nickname or your finishing move is called the Uncle Slam. Awesome fucking name. And the Patriot gets the pin and wins the match in uh, eight minutes and forty-seven seconds. Uh yeah, this was fine. This was certainly better. Like because I think we've had the Patriot before, and I don't think I've ever been a big Del Wilkes guy when he's been on. Uh, but, you know, Scorpio does a lot to qualm that. Uh, he had a beautiful spinning kick and then another beautiful moonsault by Scorp. Uh, you know, it had some moments. There was an odd comment by, I think, JR, where it says Flash Funk needs a victory. He has six kids at home, all hungry. Uh, yeah, I that, like, that felt maybe a little bit racially charged, but... Uh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but who knows? Uh, yeah, this was all right. Also, I kind of looked... It looked more like a Colossus. Than a full Nelson Slam, but yeah, Uncle Slam's a fun name. Yeah, the Uncle Slam is such a sweet fucking name. Yeah, the, the Patriot, you know, he was a guy, um, you know, big, strong dude. Um, not a bad athlete, obviously. You know, very well built. Uh, it's just like, it feels like the gimmick is outdated by this point, right? Oh, hundred percent is I'm American and I wave the American flag. It sort of feels like even in 97, it's a whole, it's a whole Kogi gimmick without the personality. Yeah, it it is like hacksaw Jim Duggan, but without like the things that made hacksaw Jim Duggan popular. Um, although he was a better worker than hacksaw Jim Duggan, but, um, you know, guy who did some good stuff in all Japan. Uh, so, you know, he was a guy, you know, he, he basically was was done after he you know he got released by WWF, not super long after this, and then like retired, was done. So, uh, not a guy who had a very long run in pro wrestling, but you know ended up in some some pretty interesting places. So, yeah, this is yeah, this match is whatever. It, I feel like it's mostly notable for like the tidbit that like yeah, Kurt Angle wasn't the first guy to use that beat. Honestly, that just makes me appreciate Kurt Angle more because like. Having to get over with someone else's music can't be easy. But, like, you know, it, it's not like he was using a real big star. Like, 
the Patriot was not booked like a big star in WWF. Or anything, right? I, I still, I still kind of think like once you hear music for somebody, you're gonna associate it with them. So when you hear it again, you're gonna associate Kurt Angle with the Patriot, which makes sense because you know they're kind of like in that same ilk of like American hero. One American just, hero. One just happened to actually be an American hero. Yes. One happened to win a gold medal with a broken freaking neck, Angelo. So next up, we have a tag match. Second week in a row that we have the Road Warriors on here. Um, we have this this classic big fire, like the kind of classic Road Warriors promo where it's big, it's fiery, they're screaming into the camera, and nothing of what they say makes any fucking sense at all. Nope. Uh, but that's just the Road Warriors, baby. We love them. Uh, Road Warriors, of course, in WWF went by the name the Legion of Doom, and they are facing the wrestling hog farmers, the Godwins, who have since turned heel and started waving a Confederate flag. Hey, David, did you notice that if you look at their initials, Henry O. Godwin is hog and Phineas I. Godwin is pig? What? You're shitting me. I did the math that checks out. You son of a bitch. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> yeah, the Wrestling Hog Farmers, the Godwins. Now they're like South Will Rise Again guys. And they're about to get their ass beat by the fucking Road Warriors. They do actually get um, a lot of heat in this match. They first get some heat on Hawk. Um, and then afterwards, the Godwins take the advantage on Animal. Um, so they get some heat for a while. You know, it's it's not quite like 80s Road Warriors where it was like they would never fucking sell for anybody and just kick the shit out of everybody. And that's like one of the reasons, like, why they got super popular is they just beat the shit out of everyone all the time and everyone loved them because they were cool. Um, but yeah, um, Phineas comes off the top rope, eats a boots, Animal gets the tag into Hawk. He uh, hands out some slams, hits a neck breaker. Henry hit, uh, breaks up the pin. Henry hits the finishing move, the slop drop on Hawk, um, sends Animal out of the ring, but Hawk is able to kick out. They double on Hawk for a little bit. Hawk comes back, a couple clotheslines, tags in Animal. Animal hits a drop kick, a power slam, flips out of a, a double back suplex, hits a double clothesline, sends Henry out of the ring, gets Phineas up on his shoulders, and the Road Warriors hit the Doomsday device on Phineas Godwin and the Legion of Doom. Keep fucking winning, because that's all they ever did, is win. 10 minutes and 42 seconds, and you know what? The Road Warriors, they don't work if they lose. You know, it's one of those deals, like, what what, what are the Road Warriors if they're losing? The Road Warriors are those, one of those teams that it's like, they were booked to win all the fucking time. And have, like, the highest power level of all time. And yet you never really got sick of it. Because they were the Road Warriors. Who's going to beat the fucking Road Warriors? They shouldn't lose. Ooh. What a rush. That entrance is just on another level, man. I love hearing that when they come out. I think that does play like a huge role with it, too. Because they're just the, they're just the ultimate ass kickers. You kind of have this idea of like them in a motorcycle gang that just roll up into bars and beat the shit out of people because they can. That's exactly uh, what they are. Exactly. It's, it's fantastic. Um, there is a moment here where they kind of build up this tag in for uh, from Animal that I guess you would call a hawk tag. A hawk tag instead of a hot tag? Okay, I'll, I, that'll scrap for my uh, Type 5. Yeah, scrap that one. <laughs> but, uh, don't, I, don't even dare to try and like <laughs> cut this out of the... People need to know that you tried this joke and it sucked. <laughs> I wasn't going to cut it anyway. Uh, I will say this for the Godwins. Like, they are... They hit that impressively massive button 
that you kind of see with like what Vince has in mind with wrestlers. Like they are mammoths on the beholden to nobody. It's just like bizarre to see guys that size and, and they move pretty well too. Um, I love the double back suplex into the double clothesline counter. Um, and you know, the doomsday device looks super cool on a guy that size. It's just really good. Like that's the kind of teams I want to see the Legion of Dune, uh, the road warriors going up against because, you know, they're not superly massive guys, but they are insanely strong. So whenever they get to toss around a guy, guys bigger than them, it's always entertaining. Yeah. Um, animal and Hawk, two of the most successful pro wrestlers who came from like the classic, like, like the classic way that you used to become a pro wrestler, like like forty years ago, where it was like, "Hey, someone who was already a wrestler saw this who already a wrestler saw this really fucking jacked guy in a gym and said, "Hey, you want to be a wrestler?" <laughs> Which is their origin story. Um, and then like they ended up becoming the coolest tag team of all time. Again, Road Warriors, they just existed to kick everyone's ass all the time. And you know, it felt like there. It, it felt like it was their right to do so. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. The Road Warriors lose doesn't ever feel right. You know, it's got to be built up yeah. right. Like uh, the Sting match, even that was kind of done poorly. The Sting Booker T uh, from last week didn't feel right. But like there are gonna be moments where you could structure that that a loss looks still good for them. But yeah, generally yeah. they should be running through everybody. Yeah, nobody's still gonna go undefeated. But it feels like, you know, the, the Road Warriors should be winning all the time. Uh, Road Warriors, personal favorite of Al Statman, my dad. I think my, da- my dad was also a big Road Warriors guy. If you watched wrestling in the 80s, you liked the Road Warriors because they were fucking sweet. My dad, also, my dad also loved Luger and uh, Fudge. Who's the other one? Billy Superstar Graham. Mm. Interesting. Uh, next up, we have an interview in the ring with Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man who is uh, not clear to compete. He is injured. He looked the- jacked. Of course he was fucking jacked, man. It's Ken Shamrock. Like very proto-Lesnar jacked. He had been injured in the Intercontinental title match or Intercontinental title uh, a, uh, a qualifying match. They were doing a tournament against Farouk the previous week. So he is not clear to compete, but we have this uh, you, still there. He's doing a uh, interview in the ring with Jr. Um, he cuts the promo. He says, "Hey, you know, if it was up to me, I would be ready to knuckle up. But I have a, a punctured lung, so I'm not clear to wrestle. But I've been injured before, and I'll be back. I didn't want to miss this show here in the UK. And then badass Billy Gunn shows up. What time was going by the very cursed uh, ring name Rockabilly? Uh, he comes down." Cuts this heel promo on Ken Shamrock. Says, you know, some doctor wrote you an excuse. Uh, I thought you were the toughest man in the world, but you make me sad. Slaps him. And then uh, Ken Shamrock beats beats his ass. Puts him in the ankle lock and Billy taps out. Rockabilly is such a horrible name that even Mo has to weigh in on it. Yeah, not naming a pro wrestler Rockabilly. Bad enough that my my dog is fucking just, you know, woofing away. Thought. Thought of this. Woof. We are, you know, he has not, he has not, he has not yet joined DX and refocused his entire gimmick around being a man with an ass yet. That's coming soon, though. Not to, uh, not to be I mean, confused with uh, Booty Man. Not to be, of course, not to be confused with the Booty Man, the other, the other man with an ass. Oh, or Rikishi, another man who had an ass. Um, or the Ass Boys, his children. Or the, the Ass Boys, of course, uh, who are just a couple of boys... Who have asses. 
So next up, we have a, a backstage interview with Brett the Hitman Hart, who's defending his WWF title tonight against The Undertaker, who, because he's not in America, cuts a, you know, babyface promo where he, you know, puts Undertaker over, um, says, you know, this is going to be one of the hardest fights he's ever going to have, but he's going to fight fire with fire and prove that he's the best there is, the best there was, and the best that there ever will be. Um and Vince McMahon kind of like I thought it was weird that like Vince was talking about sort of like like trying to imply like oh you know the fan it doesn't sound like the fans like you here in the UK which like no the fans were all cheering him what the fuck are Vince you about? sucked during this interview segment it was so bad just yeah. very cringy it's like he's trying to push this narrative it's like you know like Brett is supposed to be a heel right but it's like. Like, oh, yeah, it doesn't sound like the fans like you too much here in the UK. I don't know. It's like, no, the fans are all fucking cheering Bret Hart. I, I have no idea what the fuck he's talking Well, it's the same shit that was happening at the end of July when the commentators were talking about the Street Profits. It's like, I don't know. I don't think they're on the same page. But, like, there's nothing in the ring or any backstage segments that would tip you off to that. Yeah. That was a very weird storyline that they were pushing and then it's since been completely dropped. Because it's like literally nobody wants to see them break up. Not at all. I'm sure they don't want to, you know, like that. I, I was just like, thank God that Vince left when he did because he totally would have fucking split them up and then had, you know, like Angelo Dawkins would have just disappeared forever. Which would suck because he's incredible. Yes, Angelo, Angelo Dawkins has gotten really goddamn good over the last couple few years, you know, I have to say. I, I really. I, dare I say, I think he's the best wrestler who is named Angelo right now because I think there's only two. Only two. Are you talking about Tony D'Angelo? Are you including no that? Uh, Angelo Parker? Oh, oh, right. Cool hand Ange. I don't know. I, I mean, like, yes, like in terms of like body of in ring work over the last like couple years, absolutely sure. But you know, the 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 on screen dynamic of two makes me lose my <laughs> shit. They are incredible comedy bar, uh, guys. Yes, they are the fucking best. I love that fucking uh, Matt Menard, Daddy Magic, his, his whole gimmick is guy who does cocaine. <laughs> it's like, he's so fucking cool. Um, anyway, next up, we have a uh, pretty good looking match here. It's Vader time, motherfucker. How about this matchup? Vader versus Owen Hart? That looks pretty goddamn good. They were a tag team too, weren't they? Um. Yeah, they were aligned at one point, yes, under uh, Camp Cornette before uh, the Hart Foundation really kicked back into gear. Um, Vader and Owen, you know, one of the best big men of all time, and Owen Hart, one of the top workers of his day. Uh, and they had, I think, a pretty effective match. You know, Vader, big boys around to start the match, but Owen is able to get some high-flying stuff going. He hits a big Hurricane Rana. It's a middle-rope cross body. Um Goes, you know, teases the sharpshooter early, but then goes for a crucifix, gets squashed with a Samoan drop. Vader hits a big second rope splash. Um, Owen kicks out. Vader works him over for a while. Um, finally, eventually, uh, goes for a powerbomb that Owen is able to reverse into an enzigiri. Owen is able to slap on the sharpshooter, but Vader gets to the rope. Owen hits a big body slam on Vader, who is just massive for a near fall. Uh, gets uh, go, uh, go tries to go for a corner splash, but then Vader drops him. He goes for the Vader bomb. Owen gets the knees up. Owen goes up top, hits a missile drop kick. 
spinning heel kick for a near fall, but then goes back to the well one too many times. He goes up to the top rope one more time, but then gets countered into a power slam. Vader squashes him and wins the match. 12 minutes and 14 seconds. Solid. I, I thought it's solid. Not, not really a big man, little man match, but big man versus smaller athletic man match. Who, uh, uh, But like still strong enough to hit a power slam. I thought it was solid. I actually really love this match. I thought I, this was outside of the uh, heart dungeon match versus Ken Shamrock. I think this is probably the best Owen match I've seen on the podcast. We haven't had we, we, we haven't have, had a great Owen match. That's we have we've had a few Owen match. We haven't had any of like the great Owen matches yet. Yeah, this was probably the best one that I've seen so far. Uh, real quick, I'm going to do a cool check on Vader. Real, real quick, yeah, he's still cool. Uh, yeah, Vader, the, the math checks out. Vader's still cool. But like, uh, people give Kevin Owens shit because his body type. Like, imagine applying that logic to fucking Vader. Like, they're, like, very similarly built. Like, Vader's bigger, obviously, but, like, they're not, like, picturesque action fi- action figure superhero types. They're kind of, like, they're a little bit podgy, but, like, they're tough motherfuckers. I, I can't, I, like, you have people that grew up with Vader and would respect the hell out of Vader. And now you have Kevin Owens, who's kind of, like, not the modern-day equivalent, but has a similar type. And, like, they give him shit for it. I'm just like, you're stupid. You're stupid. If you're stupid, if you're making that comment, because Kevin Owens is fucking incredible. And just insane. Uh, but they do tell a really effective story here with, like, Vader's freakish strength versus uh, Owen Hart's, you know, technical know-how. Like, Owen just knows how to work the ring and how to work a guy that size. Yeah, It's really absolutely. good. Um, you can kind of tell in this match, though, that Vader doesn't have what he, his fastball. Like, the way he gets up off the mat, you can kind of see, is a lot more labored than what it used to be. Which makes sense. It's the end of the 90s. He's towards the end of his career. 100%. Uh Drink every time the king says full Monty. He says full Monty a lot. You'd be hammered. It's true. Very much so. Um, Owen kicking out of that splash was a very big spot. I thought that was like a very good near fall. I thought that would have been the end of the match, and Owen kicking out was very impressive. Uh, Just all sorts of good things here between these two guys. They work really well together, and just so much fun. This was a good match between a guy who... A lot of older heads would really like, and then the guy that kind of really set the template for the next 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Uh, again, you know, like you said, and I agree with you, Vader was, you know, had lost his fastball a little bit, but still was, you know, had enough in the tank to really go out there and put on a good match um, against a guy like, especially somebody like Owen. You know, I, I, guys that big don't often age super well, right? Nope. Like they don't often like maintain like a, like a, a very high level for that long. And Vader had been just fucking killing it for a very long time by that point, but still a good match. Vader can still get shit done in that ring. Still affect not. Yeah. He doesn't have the athletic juice that he once had, but he can still, you know, you know, operate very effectively as like just a, big fucking super heavyweight badass. Um, and this is a good, this is absolutely a, a, a good match. If you do want to watch a really good Owen Hart match, I think my number one recommendation would be his match with Brett at uh, WrestleMania 10, which I say is maybe the most technically perfect wrestling match to ever exist. It's just like flawless in every way. And it blows my fucking mind. 
Wow, two hearts having a flawless wrestling match. Why am I not surprised? I know, right? It's <laughs> it's 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 almost beyond belief that that could happen, but it really is just one of the best fucking matches I've ever seen. Anyway, next up, we've got our two big matches. It is, first off, Taker and Brett for the WWF title, speaking of the Hart family. Uh, Taker cuts a promo. You know, he says, you, know, you had defended the title against me recently because you hit me with a chair, but tonight you won't have anybody there at your back hitting me with a chair. He says, Brett, you're not a savior, you're a demon. I'll expose you for that tonight, and when this night ends, you'll be looking up at the Reaper Let's prepare to rest in peace. And then the gong, and the crowd loves it. The Taker gets a big reaction. The crowd's going loco for Taker. And then Brett also, big cheers for Brett, who is, of course, the man who invented being cool. It's a fun fact about Brett Hart. The concept of being cool did not exist before Brett Hart invented the, the idea that someone could be cool, he was the first guy to do that. I don't want to object to this because Bret Hart is cool. But I do believe on previous podcasts we have said that the Hardys invented being cool. Your That's comment. That's not true. Stop fucking gaslighting me, <laughs> asshole. How fucking dare you? <laughs> fuck you up for saying that. Have fun driving six hours. Anyway. Yeah, I need to talk to you about that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, um... Taker and Brett, uh, this is a good match. I, I, there, there are people that describe this as perhaps the last truly great match of Brett's career. It's only a few weeks later is Survivor Series 97, the Montreal Screwjob. He is out of WWF, goes to WCW, and has a run that... Most people describe as largely underwhelming and, of course, is cut short by Goldberg kicking him in the fucking head and ending his career. Hey, Brett, you but, still like Goldberg? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I do feel a little bad for Goldberg because I feel like people really get a kick out of, like, the fact that Brett shits on him all the time, but it is funny that, like, <laughs> Brett to this day, it's like at every chance he gets, it's like, yo, fuck Goldberg. <laughs> it's funny, you know? It's very humanizing, right? We all have that guy that we really just do not like. Yeah, David Statman can't stand him. Yeah, I know. Me too. Fuck that guy. All right, we get a very hot start. Um, Taker is able to take control early on. He's. Uh, slams him onto the floor and slams him into the post. They brawl at the ramp. Uh, Brett hits a running DDT, but then Brett, he had previously exposed the turnbuckle. Taker sends him into the exposed buckle. Um, Brett works over the leg for a while, and that becomes a big part of the, the story of this match. He does the figure four around the post spot, and then there's a figure four in the ring. Taker's able to turn it around, but Brett, Brett every chance he gets throughout this match, he goes back to that leg to chop Taker down and retake control of this match. Uh, they have a cool spot where uh, Taker uh, goes for the leg drop kind of in between Brett's legs, and then Brett catches it and turns it into the sharpshooter, which, if I remember correctly, was the finish of his match with Mr. Perfect, SummerSlam 91. Hmm. But I might, I might be thinking of another match, but I feel like that's what the finish was. Um, 
he uh, you know, has him in the sharpshooter, but Taker's able to boot him away. Um, Taker reverses him again when he tries to go for the sharpshooter. Brett brings the timekeeper's bell into the ring, uh, but as he brings it up to use it, Taker boots him. Taker grabs the bell, wants to use it himself, but then Mike Kyoto, the referee, rips the bell away from him, which gives Brett another opportunity to go after the knee again. They have a spot where they're they're near the rings. I, I don't know if it was like take or near the rope. Taker like boots him, I think, and then he like ends up taking out a cameraman. Like he takes out the cameraman who like like who was like shooting it at the time. So you see Brett like knock this fucking guy over. It's really funny. Good spot, um, honestly. Yeah, I love when that happens. Taker sends him into the post. He goes for old school, but then gets flipped off the top rope. Tombstone reversal. Tombstone reversal. So, somehow Brett ends up getting sent into the ropes, gets his neck tangled up in the ropes. Finish of this match comes. Yeah, he has his neck caught in the ropes, and Taker just starts punching him. And he doesn't stop punching him. And then the ref DQs him. In 28 minutes and 34 seconds. Uh, very, very fun. Like, kind of finish that only WWE does. Yeah. Um, and afterwards, Taker flips out. Mike Chioda eats choke slam. Uh, Owen Hart comes down to try and help Brett get out. Then you see Gerald Briscoe get in the ring, and Gerald Briscoe eats a choke slam. People are pissed. You know, they, like, they had, you know, gotten, you know, like, at, at, at Taker, I mean, Taker was, was, had a lot of, uh, fans behind him, but, you know, this, this, this callousness of this post-match attack, some of the fans turn on a little bit here, and people are actually, a couple people throw stuff into the ring. They're obviously not happy about this, not happy about this finish get an inconclusive end of this WWF title match. 28, 30, 28 minutes, 34 seconds, Bret Hart is still the champ. I think as a general rule, if you're going to have a match go over 15 minutes, you can't have it end in DQ. Or so. The only way you can have a match end over 15 minutes like that would be a title limit draw. And that's the only acceptable outcome. I agree. I, I honestly do agree with that. I'm not somebody that is like against DQ finishes in a vacuum. Like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of AEW, right? And they never do countouts and DQs. And I think that they may be a little bit extreme in the other direction. I think that they have their place sometimes. Like, there are some times where it, you know, makes sense. But I'm I'm more along the lines of, like, I, I want to have a clean finish to a match. It doesn't even have to be clean. Like, it doesn't have to be clean either. It's just, like... I would like some conclusive finish here. Sure. Someone like, needs to win. Yeah, you want to have a winner and a loser, right? Um, you want to have a pinfall or submission. But, like, yeah, when, when you have a match that's this long and builds up this well, to have it end in the DQ, you're just like, what the fuck? You're sitting there just like, what the fuck, man? Like, I, I said this, if it was, it's at least creative. I've never seen another match end like this. I'll say that much. And... Like, part of me sometimes somewhat believes, like, it could have been a botch. Like, maybe it was, his head was supposed to get stuck in the ropes. And so because of the yeah, fact, like... It was, but... It, like, that's just such a wild spot to see. Like, a guy's head stuck in the ropes like that. Because it feels like there's a whole host of things that could go wrong. So, like, ad-libbing to a DQ finish makes sense. But, like, it, yeah, it's just stupid to run a 30-minute match and end it in DQ like, like that. It just... Why do we sit here for 28 minutes in? That's kind of where, where I'm at. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, this was very much the intended finish. But, I know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it even more disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine, like, having your neck in the ropes feels good, though. No. 
You know, it's probably not as bad for WWF because they like like they're the only ones who you see really do that because from what I've read, not that I know firsthand, of course, but they're like the only dudes that like still use like actual ropes as the ring ropes instead of like the the high tension steel cable that's like covered in like like tapes basically that like everyone else uses so like like i think about like like a like a steel cable ropes i don't know if they bend enough that you can actually do that yeah place and if you did that shit would feel horrible But in WWF, they're like you know mm-hmm. actual rope ropes. You can kind of make that work. And I do love like when they get like crucified by the ropes. I do love whenever we get that kind of spot in a match. I just think that's it looks really impressive. A classic heel Andre the Giant spot mm-hmm. when he get caught in the ropes like that. Uh, Taker gave Roman Reigns a run for his money for a wettest hair competition in this match because he comes oh. out with sopping wet hair. And I hate. This Undertaker goatee, I think. Oh, it's awful. I think it looks terrible. It is is the kind of goatee that people had back in 1997. um, Where it's like... Like, it's like like all the way around with, like, mustache, but also, like... And he has a little strip in the middle. It looks bad. It just does... It's not a good look. I do not like it. Yeah, I had that note, too. Um, (laughs) I will say this. Like, Natalia kind of has still, like, the heart theme. But when you hear that guitar chord... And Brett comes out. It just hits different. It just, oh. it just really just like, oh shit, just hit, j- shit just went to a hundred. It is one of the cool, like it is like, it's not a fancy entrance. No, but like the combination of that particular song and that particular guy walking to the ring in that gear with the leather jacket with the fucking pink shades screams him. Like, it is a tornado of fucking coolness. Oh, like. It never fails to fucking hit. When I see like 97 Brett walk to the ring to that theme, I'm just always like, that motherfucker is so goddamn cool. And it's just like he's going to kill somebody. You have those vibes. Um, This is a a pro wrestler here to fucking light it up. Oh, yeah. Um, I do love like this little bit. This is something I never really noticed growing up with Undertaker, but like I noticed in this match is that even though when he sits up, he's still stumbling around a little bit, which like just helps paint the picture of the Undertaker character. Is like it's not that he's immortal, like he still can be wounded, but like he's not recovering at a like super insane rate. It's just like he's got the w- it's just his will. It's uh, essentially like the dead man's will. Yeah, uh, really kind of like. Good character development on that. I also really love a figure four around the post. I just think it's a tremendous, like, both tactical and heel move and one that would, like, oh, yeah, this is going to hurt like a bitch because you're doing it around a steel post. I love yeah. seeing that. A move that, move that Brett would do that you don't see a lot of people do in general. No. Um, and there's a moment in this match where they're just, they've really been the piss out of each other and haven't really gone, no one's really gained an advantage. That really helps sell, like, that big fight feel that you get when both these guys come out. Um, Hart also, like, throughout this match, I kind of noticed, like, Vince is talking about how he's kind of like a heel the entire time, which doesn't make sense early in the match. But Hart does kind of develop more of a heel tactics as the match goes on, which I really did appreciate uh, as, like, a storytelling part. And then, yeah, just ending in with DQ kind of sucks. It makes all the good things about this match feel that, like, why did I sit through it? Yeah, weak finish for a match that I thought was... Everything involved made sense from both guys. It was built up well. 
and I'm ready for a fucking great finish to this match, and then it just never comes. Don't get it, which is very disappointing. So yeah, but Brett the Goat, the fucking Goat. Anyway, uh, it's main event time, and we get a promo from Shawn Michaels who says, and this is true, if he wins the European title tonight, he's going to become the first ever WWF Grand Slam champion, WWF champion, Intercontinental champion, tag team champion, which he was with Diesel, uh, not the Rockers. People don't realize the Rockers never actually won the WWF Tag Team Championships, won it with Diesel. And European champion. Um, and then he says that his middle name is Top This. Which, <laughs> Sean Top This Michaels? I, I think you have to have the gesture involved as well. I think that's part of it. There's parents on drugs? Like, what the fuck's that? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Main event time, HBK and Bulldog for the European title. Sean walking down, giving big kisses on the lips to some very clearly underage girls at ringside. Uh, during his entrance, uh, Bulldog naturally gets a huge reaction from this crowd, and they are all fucking behind Davy Boy Smith. Um, he comes down with the Union Jack. I mean, he has his family at ringside. He walks out with his sister, the one who had cancer. Uh, I mean, this is like the baby facest shit in the world from Davy Boy, who was still, again, a heel in the United States because he was with the Heart Foundation. Um, Bulldog, as I said, uh, in, in storyline at least, had lost 28 pounds, and I think he it notably does look a little leaner than he was at his at his biggest in the previous couple of years. Um, and he gets a long shot. He really, you know, beats Sean for pillar to post. Uh, the beginning, the early part of this match, he uh, gorilla presses him up, you know. Um, they have this weird spot, like Earl Hebner is like getting in his way to prevent him from throwing Sean over the top rope to the floor, which I don't think is illegal, but Earl Hebner doesn't want him to do it. Uh, he banderas Sean out to the floor, big chance of bulldog from the crowd, really dominates him. Uh, Sean goes for Hurricane Ron, but David Boy turns it into a sit-out powerbomb. Do the exact same spot as they did in the uh, Owen Hart-Vader match where Sean goes for a crucifix and Davy Boy turns it into a Samoan drop and just squashes him. So second time we've seen that spot on the show. Um, Davy Boy puts him in the surfboard submission hold. Uh, Earl Hebner does correctly start counting the pin because Davy Boy's shoulders are on the mat. So Davy Boy lets the submission hold go, starts arguing with Sean. Uh, or starts arguing with the ref. Sean takes the opportunity to cut him off and gets a beat. Uh, Rick Rude then comes down, who had been uh, Sean's quote-unquote insurance man, helping Sean win some matches in, in recent weeks. Uh, Rick Rude kind of starts coming down, comes down the ring and starts helping Sean, you know, do some cheap shit to Davy Boy and turn the tide of this match. Davy Boy had been dominating up to this point. He uh, helps Sean reverse an O'Connor roll into a pin, uh, a pin attempt. Uh, he uh, trips Davy Boy when he comes a little bit too close to the uh, to the side of the ropes that he's on. That allows Sean to take Davy Boy out, and then when he gets the chance, and Earl Hebner's turned around, he beats up Davy Boy, throws him into the post. Uh, Sean puts him in a sleeper hold for a little bit, has him in a short arm scissors. Davy Boy powers him up with the one arm and slams him out of it to escape the hold. 
At that point, two more people come down to the ring. Generation X doesn't officially exist yet, but here's Triple H and here is China. We're buddies with Shawn Michaels. Uh, they come down right as uh, Bulldog is getting his comeback. Help uh, Shawn again retake uh, the advantage. Shawn hits two diving elbows. Turn, uh, he tunes up the band, goes to the sweet chin music with the Bulldog in the corner. Bulldog ducks, grabs him, gets him up for the running power slam. But Rick Rude holds on to the ankle so he can't hit the move. Instead, the fight goes to the floor. Um, as Rude is distracting the referee, Bulldog takes out Triple H. And this was a weird little spot here. So the ringside area is like, or like the ring in the ringside area is kind of up on a little, it's not on the same level as like the, the, uh, like the, the first row of the crowd, right? There's a little bit of a drop-off in between, and the the barricade is kind of over top of this little drop-off. It looks like it was maybe just like a couple feet. It's right? like it's like the elevated basketball courts in the Final Four. Yes, if you've seen that. It's sort of like that, but it's it's not it's not it doesn't even look to be as high as those are, really. Uh, but they have this spot where that uses that little that little drop-off where Bulldog gets Sean up on his shoulder like he's about to hit the running power slam on him on the floor. And his foot slips off of the little platform and gets caught in between the platform that has the ring on it and the railing. And so with his leg caught in there, in a very, I, I think, a very creative way to use the uh, just sort of the, the, the environment, um, they start attacking the leg. Um, Triple H and, and Rick Rude attack him. Uh, Shawn Michaels kicks him in the face. Triple H hits a pedigree on the floor. And then they send him back into the ring. Uh, Shawn Michaels rips off Davey Boy's knee brace. It puts him in a figure four. Really holds on to this figure four for a long time. They do the spot where behind Earl Hebner's back, Triple H and China are holding on to Shawn's arms for extra leverage. Uh, Davy Boy gets near the ropes. He's about to turn it over, but then Rick Rude again behind Earl Hebner's back. Earl Hebner not seeing shit in this match. Blind as a bat. Rick Rude takes a shot at him and keeps him from being able to turn it over. Eventually, after I mean, Davy Boy's in this hole for a good couple minutes, probably. Eventually, Earl Hebner calls for the bell. Davy Boy never taps, but Earl Hebner calls for the bell, and Shawn Michaels wins the European title, becomes the first ever WWE Grand Slam champion. 22 minutes and 53 seconds, as a furious English crowd starts throwing shit into the throwing shit into the ring, screaming and yelling and jeering at Shawn Michaels. Shawn gets on the mic, he taunts the crowd, he calls them limeys, says, take a look at the new Grand Slam winner. He calls out Davy Boy's wife, Diana Smith, who is at ringside. They taunt the Hart family. Uh, they end up putting the figure four back on. Um, Diana gets into the ring to try and help her husband out. China ends up picking her up and manhandling her and pulling her away. But eventually Owen and Brett hit the ring, chase off the heels as the crowd loses their fucking shit. Mad heat here in Birmingham to end WWF one night only. This sh version of Shawn Michaels has very strong MJF vibes. Just like how heelish he was throughout this entire match. And also... I 
also is over the top selling too. Like he was flopping around like Marcus Smart was uh, yeah. in every okay. game. He's looking like he's looking like Manu Ginobili over here. It's just ridiculous, and he's so over as a heel too. Like the booze that he's getting are just resounding, and then somehow Bulldog gets an even louder pop. So good. Um, also nice uh, sign. We're in the '90s. Sean is a bundle of sticks sign. Obviously, bundle of sticks was not used. Uh, never changed the '90s. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is just really great. Sean's reactions to start the match where he can't match Bulldog's strength and like he's kind of doing everything he can to kind of go head to head with the Bulldog, even to the point where he's climbing to the top rope while in a tie up was just like very kind of comical, but also like logical somewhat. Um, I'm a sucker for every every military press and Bulldog puts a few of those on. Um, I know you are a big military press guy, big military press guy, because I'll probably never be able to do one. Why you, it's why you love Luger. You yeah. did that shit in every match that he was ever in. I also like the torture act, too. Uh, and Michael's using every shortcut he can, like a thumb to the eye, to try and stop a run. And he gets put into a huge powerbomb. The, surf, the surfboard out of Bulldog surprised me because I don't think of him as like a submission guy. And that's a move I really kind of associate with more technical dudes like uh, Brian Danielson, uh, a Bret Hart. I would see that from, but like not really Bulldog. So that was well, kind of surprising. That is the thing about uh, Davey Boy. Um the focus for him kind of went away from that when he was later on in his career and he got really big and he became more of a power wrestler, like a straight up power wrestler. But when you watch him when he was younger, especially, I mean, he, he started the fucking world of sport. I mean, he had a very strong technical background. And when you watch him when he was younger and smaller, he was excellent technically. Uh, Sounds a lot of cool stuff. Sounds like how they always presented Anthony Davis, where like he was a point guard for so long and then had a giant growth spurt. It's like, oh yeah, he's a guard, but he's the size of a big. That's an interesting analogy, but I don't, I don't think you're off base. With it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and then uh, you know, bulldog deadlifting Shawn Michaels, just insane power spot, and then you get the heel involvement. Obviously, he's kind of bring it down. I do kind of think it's shitty. Like I'm all like I understand having the hometown hero loose. It's it's a way to build heat. I get it. I truly do. Yeah, especially because they're trying to build heat for the big. I mean, the the big match down the line is obviously Brett, right? Yes, but then you also play up the sister beating cancer angle. I just kind of feel like you're a shitty human being for doing that. Yeah, I mean, this whole match is like just a complete. Fucking! It's like every single factor possible combined to create like the most pissed crowd of all time. Oh yeah! It's like okay, take beloved hometown hero, not just hometown hero, like guy representing your entire country. Like Davy Boy Smith is like to this point, like he's the he British is, bulldog. He is he is British wrestling, you know, at this point in time. Like, he literally is British wrestling. Take him, right? Coming in, defending a title on his home turf against a little fucking shithead American that is being an asshole at every fucking turn. He, like, the he the beloved hometown hero has his sister with cancer at ringside. And it's, like, part of the buildup. And then you have the match start in every single, like, every single turn, beloved hometown hero is just beating his fucking ass. I mean, like, Shawn Michaels is not on his level. Like, he is not able to match him at all, except when he cheats. And then he ends up winning 
because him and three of his friends like all conspire to basically go four on one and the referee misses all of it like does not stop any of it and then like the referee stops the fight without him ever actually even submitting it's like this confluence of factors where it's like we just want to create like the like the most heat possible we want the crowd to be as pissed off as possible and they did they were mad they were throwing shit everywhere you know but like what is what is the price you pay for creating this much heat and pissing off all of your fucking fans like i feel like it's at the point where you're like like when when you do it like this and like really fucking go over the top like this you risk people just being like well, that sucked. I don't want to fucking go to this anymore. Yeah. It's no. like it's like when I went to the Jets game and they played the Browns on Monday Night Football for their first Monday Night Football game in years. And they Sam Darnold's not playing. The Simeon gets hurt within the first play, was drive. And they end up having to turn to freaking Luke Falk and they lose 23-3. I never wanted to go to a Jets game again. Uh, sucked ass. But, yeah, but it, it would be like it would be like that, but if the Browns brought out Tom Brady. No, it would be like that if, um, like, Sam Darnold started the game. And this is, like, an alternative uh, reality where Sam Darnold's actually good at football, right? <laughs> um, Sam Darnold actually starts the game. And the Jets go up 21 to nothing. And then the Browns, uh, like, like Miles Garrett brings a shotgun onto the field <laughs> and shoots uh, uh, Sam Darnold in the knee. And the rest don't stop it. And then the rest of the game, the Browns play with 14 players and the rest don't do anything about it. And then the Browns come back and win. Perfect. It would uh, be like, people would be like, every single Jets fan, all, all 13 Jets fans in the crowd would be like, wow, I never want to go to a Jets game again. That was disgusting. Yep. Uh, that's the Jets existence. But no, this was, I, I just don't get it doing it every time. It, it, like, obviously, we just saw Bianca Belair win in Nashville, which is huge and great and awesome. But it feels like more often than not, this it's always a go-to to make the heel or, like, have the babyface hometown hero go oh. job out. In WWE, a hundred fucking percent. That was, like, a whole thing with Vince that I hope they go away from. Like, I, like, wa- I, tr- like I understand the Roman Reigns story. They really want him to milk it till WrestleMania so they can possibly get The Rock in there. And I get that. I want Drew to go over real bad at Clash of the Castle. Imagine, I mean, like, Drew being the guy to beat Roman in the UK would be, like, people would go nuts. It would be insane. The pop, the nuclear levels of pop you would get. You would get measurements on the Richter scale. WWE conditioned people for so long to not realize, like, how much fun wrestling is when there's actually good vibes and people are happy, you know? Because, like, for so long, hometown people got sacrificed in their hometown to build heat. Like, it was a it was a thing that Vince had, like, a complex about. He, like, just never wanted people to win in their hometowns. You saw it all the time for fucking years. And then, like, you know, not to say that AEW is perfect on everything, but, like, one of the very basic things they did was, like, you know, like, what, are you going to have Britt Baker lose in fucking Britsburg? No, you're no. not. And the crowd loves it. Like the crowd, yes. the pop, the pop for the like the babyface for winning is as loud, if not louder, and more passionate than when they lose as a like, like as a heel to a heel. Like you've been there twice at 
AEW in Pittsburgh, you have seen how over Brit was. She had freaking Pat Fryermuth and Najee Harris with her last time. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, if that was WWE, she would come out and have the huge fucking reaction, and then she would lose, and then everyone would be like, oh, shit. But in AEW, it's a whole fucking party, and everyone loses their minds, and everyone has a great time. Right? Yep. It's that simple. It's very simple. Like, you know, this is very much over the fucking top. Um, but you know, it, 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 it really like, yes. Like if their goal was to, we want to get a fucking ton of heat on Shawn Michaels, then they absolutely nail it. I mean, they really did. I mean, oh, they yeah. went every single stop you can like humanly go through to get heat on Shawn Michaels. But you also wonder like, okay, well, what's the cost here? What's the cost here by fucking doing Davey Boy? Dirty. because I don't think Davey Boy ever got a rematch, you know what I mean? Like, if you're building towards a big rematch, like, oh, the next UK exclusive pay-per-view, oh, here comes Davey Boy, I, I, I don't know if they ever really did that rematch. I might be wrong, but, you know, it, it certainly wasn't, like, an immediate thing. Nope. Anyway. Actually, no. They didn't. Because Davey Boy left WWF after fucking Survivor Series. So, no, they never actually did that. Uh, he... he he dipped after the screw job. Um, so no, they, they, they didn't ever fill that up. Uh, so yeah. All right, let'll, let'll, let'll finish that up. So two and a half marks, Angelo. Uh, my negative half mark is going to Vincing it. Like, it's amazing that like Vince can book himself pretty darn well. Like every time Vince is on screen for an angle, I generally think that he books himself in the right way. And that's not in a way that makes him feel like, un- inevitable, but, like, it makes sense for a character. Him as a commentator sucked. Like, he's just so, like, it, it feels like he's so disingenuine when he's commentating. Like, it's a- nothing he says feels like it has weight. And, like, he's always at a level that's way too loud and he's peaking on the mic. And it's not co- it's not comfortable to listen to, honestly. Uh, and then, like, the booking style, too. Like, then for the WWF Championship, stupid. It's just like those finishes don't feel rewarding. They just don't. And like whenever Vince puts too much investment into what he thinks is right, like we have seen down the stretch of this last period of WWE, it's not really that good. It's just not. I I I can't imagine that he was the one booking the bloodline. I just that that that, there's no way that was Vince. I I, I, because he had Roman win forever. He did, but like. It was, listen, Bloodline is a cool act. It's a great act. You know, the the Roman heel turn was overdue. He's been phenomenal. Uh, But, like, at at this point, like, where he's beaten everybody, and now they have to really, like, they've done a good job building Drew back up and making you interested and, like, wanting to see that match. But, like, for a long, a long time, it was like, okay, well, who's he going to fucking face next, you know? I will say, though, the Cesaro match felt like one that, like, was probably the last time I thought Roman could lose. Not the Cesaro match. Fuck. <laughs> That's pr- or the, Ke- the Kevin Owens match. That shit, man? Hell no. I want Cesaro to win, damn it. Uh, the Kevin Owens last man standing match, probably then. I was thinking maybe the Seth Rollins one. Ooh, that would have been another good one. They always did a good one at Rumble. But anyway, Vince uh, just... Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins and Roman made for each other. They love each other. Uh, but yeah, Vince just goes too hard sometimes. And, like, not in a good way. He tries too hard to be smarter than everyone, and as someone that does do that, 
It doesn't work. Uh, so no, negative one half mark to Vincing it. Uh, one mark is going to the Hart family delivering. So like, yeah, the matches, the finishes maybe were less than stellar, but you can't say that Owen Hart, Bret Hart, and the British Bulldog didn't just like deliver a perfect last hour and a half of wrestling. Like just Bret, just Bret and the Bulldog alone, that's 50 minutes of wrestling. And then you throw in Owen Hart, that's at an hour. And you know what those breaks, it's probably closer to an hour and a half. They just made that last hour and a half just fly. It was so good. They were all great. They all had their own moments. And it was just really good. It's really nice to see, like, the Hart family, who is regarded as, like, one of the best wrestling families of all time, really deliver on that aspect. And this this pay-per-view was really built for them. And they really did a great job of living up to the hype. And then my two marks, it's going to the man of the hour. It's going to Shawn Michaels and all his mannerisms. The guy just playing the heel was fantastic. I think he's got maybe the second best mannerisms of all time to The Rock. Like, the way he has these facial expressions, the way he reacts, the way he carries himself in this match, it's all fantastic. It's all enjoyable. It's all, I want to see this shit-eating heel eat shit. Because he is just so slimy. Just so punchable. Because he's like, I am the hottest thing ever. The heartbreak kid, Sean Mike. It's just all perfect for him. And so, like, he's just always great when he's on TV. So, yeah, two marks to Shawn Michaels as mannerisms. I was also going to give a half mark to just the Hart Foundation. I mean, like, just a blessed group. Like, not just a blessed group, like a blessed family unit there. Uh, I mean, obviously you can talk about the, uh, you know, the Samoan dynasty where you have, you know, like a, a Roman Reigns and the Rock and the Usos and all that. Being, you know, people being related and all being that great. But Hart Foundation, right up there, you have fucking... Brett, and you have Owen, and you have Davy Boy Smith, who was a personal favorite. Uh, just a blessed group of just some tremendous fucking wrestlers. I mean, we'll very rarely see their like again, if ever. Um, I'm going to give a full negative mark to... I, I was going to say, like, you know, pissing off the fans in this way. Like, <laughs> I, I think that, like, there's something very uncomfortable for me to going back and watching these spots in the, especially the mid-late 90s, where you would have all the people throwing shit in the ring all the time. Because, like, you saw it a lot in WCW. People would do it, like, especially during the NWO segments. People did it, you know, during the, the formation of the NWO and then onward. And it's a great signifier, obviously, that people are getting heat. But, like, also don't throw shit in the ring at the fucking wrestlers. Like, you could, you could actually injure somebody. You know, there, obviously there was the very big debate about it, right, uh, recently when it happened uh, in GCW, GCW. With the Matt Cardona thing. And pe- there were people defending it as, like, oh, well, he's just getting a ton of heat, and that's, that's great. Like, that's part of wrestling. At the same time, it's very fucking dangerous. Like, I don't know. Like... <laughs> There's there's a debate like both ways that I can see both ways, but I don't like it. I think if you're throwing paper products or like plastic products, like yeah, you could cause someone to lose their footing. But generally speaking, that's like a limited inhibitor. But like it also takes is one jackass throwing a bottle to really f- yeah. like fuck that up, which we have seen happen before in pro wrestling. Exactly, you know. Um, or, like, people, especially people throwing shit into the fucking ring during a match. Oh, yeah. With that, that is very dangerous. The only exception is in Mexico when they do the thing where people throw money into the ring after a good match. <laughs> that's good, and people should do that more. Streamers. 
Uh, streamers, the streamers thing is also acceptable. But yeah, negative one mark to people throwing shit into the ring. Uh, I just, I watch that and I cringe a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to see this. Like, I, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of ways it can go well. You know what I mean? As it only takes like, once. Badly. I don't know. And I'm going to give two marks to a full UK crowd. I mean, I feel like, like I said, it is one of the most reliable things in pro wrestling that when WWE goes to the UK, uh, even when WWE is in a down point, they're still going to get a fucking full and loud crowd. Uh, the UK fans, they go nuts for this shit. And it, you know, the, the atmosphere at a UK WWE show is really unlike any other atmosphere that you get in WWE. Uh, they, you know, they were loud as hell, chanting, blowing the air horns, which is like the thing only they do. Um, it's a very, it was a very fun atmosphere to watch a wrestling show for. Added a lot. I mean, they were hot from start to finish. And I know I was just bragging on them a little bit for throwing shit into the ring. Um, so I'm going to both yeah. praise and you know, <laughs> denigrate this UK crowd at the same time. But like the UK crowd, they were not the only people throwing shit into the ring. Everyone was doing that around this time. That was just the thing that people were doing in the late 90s. Um, it's not just them. I, you know, I'm making more of a general point there. But this specific, you know, the UK crowd, you could always fucking count on them to provide a great atmosphere. And that is absolutely what they did. If you watched SmackDown in Montreal last night, that crowd was insane, too. Like, yes, Canada, too. Canada, those guys always go fucking. Sami Zayn was the biggest star on SmackDown. They always go hard in Canada also. Um, so yeah, big respect to those guys for sure. So yeah, that will wrap up our coverage of WWF one night only. So without further ado, uh, we are going to hit our last order of business. I think next week we're planning, we got some stuff going on. So we're next week we're planning on having a market down. Mark it down with the forbidden door. Cause we got some forbidden door action before there was a forbidden door. Dude, we'll hint at that. A little tease. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is yet, but... Uh, a certain gif from this match is making the rounds on the wrestling internet recently. So, uh, but as I pull up the random, I'm gonna hit the randomizer uh, and see what we're gonna be watching probably in two weeks for our next full length episode. So as I pull this up, Angelo, what do you want to watch? Give me some NXT. I feel like it's been too long. I want some NXT. We are not getting some NXT. It sounds like me. we're getting Death of WCW. It's definitely not Death of WCW. It's more like, like birth of wcw it's oh. not even really wcw at all this is a this is like a jcp show this is we're watching the bunkhouse stampede finals from january of 1988 that's this a mouthful ones uh yeah we're watching the fucking motherfucking bunkhouse stampede uh classic fucking jim crockett promotions here from 88 uh steel cage bunkhouse stampede match main event Dusty Rhodes, Arn Anderson. Yes, Dusty. Aaron, the Barbarian, The Warlord, Lex Luger, Road Warrior Animal, Tony Blanchard, and Ivan Koloff. We also have a singles match between Ric Flair and Road Warrior Hawk on this show. Uh, and a Nikita Koloff-Bobby Eaton match. That looks pretty good. Larry Zabisco. Larry Zabisco shows up? Holy He's shit. Larry Zabisco, right? And this is a four, it's a four match card, four match card, but all four gets uh, a lot. 
uh, a lot of time. Um, and yeah, very interested to see that. Here's some real classic names on the show. So yeah, next next time on the Two and a Half Parts podcast, the 1988 Bunkhouse Stampede. So, my good friend Angelo and Lisa. My name is David Thanks everybody for listening. Wait, which uh, which number episode is this? It's 94. 94, <laughs> fuck. Okay, I got it. I got it. We're good. We're good. We're good. I'll we're throw good. that blooper in at the end now. <laughs> fuck. No, shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right, I'll catch you in again.